Section 67 of the United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sawyer Ruiz. The World Story, Volume 13, The United States. Edited by Ava March Tappan. Section 67. The Bombardment of Fort Sumter, 1861, by Orville J. Victor. Punctually at the hour indicated, 20 minutes past 4 a.m., the roar of a mortar from Sullivan's Island announced the war begun. A second bomb from the same battery followed. Then Fort Moultrie answered with the thunder of a columbade. Cummings Point next, and the floating battery dropped in their resonant notes. Then a pause, but only for a moment. A roar of 50 guns burst in concert, chorused up to the solemn prelude, which must have startled the spirits of the patriotic dead in their slumbers. Sumter lay off in the waters, the center of that appalling circle of fire. The early morning shadows had lifted from its ramparts to discover the stars and stripes floating from the garrison staff but it was as silent amid that storm as if no living soul panted and fretted within its walls. It was the silence of duty, of men resolved on death if their country called for the sacrifice. For months the little garrison had been pent up in the fortress, overworked and underfed, but not a murmur escaped the men, and the hour of assault found all prepared for their leader's orders, to defend the fort to the last. The sentinels were removed from the parapet, posterns closed, and the order given for the men to keep close within the casements until the call of the drum. Breakfast was quietly served at six o'clock, the shot and shell of the enemy thundering against the walls and pouring within the enclosure with remarkable precision. After breakfast, disposition was calmly made for the day's work. The casements were supplied from the magazines, the guns, without tangents or scales, and even destitute of bearing screws, were to be ranged by the eye and fired by guess. The little force was told off in relays, composed of three reliefs, equally dividing the officers and men. Captain Doubleday took the first detachment and fired the first gun at seven o'clock. The captain directed his guns at Moultrie, at the Cummings Point Iron Battery, the floating ironclad battery anchored off the end of Sullivan's Island, and the infilting battery on Sullivan's Island, all of which were then pouring in a scathing storm of solid shot. An officer who was present thus spoke of the bombarding, the explosion of shells, and the quantity of deadly missiles that were hurled in every direction and at every instant of time made it almost certain death to go out of the lower tier of casements, and also made the working of the barbet or upper uncovered guns, which contained all of our heaviest metals, and by which alone we could throw shells, quite impossible. During the first day there was hardly an instant of time that there was a cessation of the whizzing of balls, which were sometimes coming at half a dozen at once. There was not a portion of the work which was not seen in reverse, that is, exposed by the rear, from mortars. At noon, Friday, the supply of cartridges in the front was exhausted, when the blankets of the barracks and the shirts of the men were sewed into the required bags and served out. No instrument was in the fort for weighing the powder, thus forbidding all precision in the charge, and, as a consequence, causing much variation in planting the shot. When we add that the guns wanted both tangents, breech, or telescopic sights, that wedges served instead of bearing screws, we can only express astonishment at the accuracy attained. Not a structure of the enemy escaped the solid balls of the columbades and faxons. The village of Moultrieville, a gathering of summer houses belonging to citizens of Charleston, was completely riddled. Saturday morning, at the earliest light, the cannonading was resumed with redoubled fury. By eight o'clock, the red-hot balls from the furnace in Moultrie came to prove that the revolutionists would use every means to dislodge the obstinate Anderson. Soon, the barracks and quarters were in flames, past all control. The men were then withdrawn from the guns to avert their now impending danger to the magazine. The powder must be emptied into the sea. Ninety barrels were rolled over the area exposed to the flames and pitched into the water. By this time, the heat from the burning buildings became intense. 
fairly shifting the men with its dense fumes the doors of the vault were therefore sealed while the men crept into the casements to avoid suffocation by cowering close to the floor covering their faces with wet cloths an occasional gun could only be fired as a signal to the enemy and the fleet outside that the fort had not surrendered with the color still floating from the staff the winds bore the smoke and flames aside its fold revealed to the enemy the glorious stars and stripes waving there amid the ruin and treble terror unscathed its halyards had been shot away but becoming entangled the flag was fixed only the destruction of the staff could drag it down this appalling conflagration seemed to inflame the zeal of the assailant the entire circle of attack blazoned with fire and the air was cut into hissing arches of smoke and balls the rebel general in command has stated that two hours probably would suffice to reduce the fortress but twenty-eight hours had not accomplished the work and now as the besiegers beheld another and more invincible power coming to their aid they acknowledged the service rendered by frenzied shouts and redoubled service at their guns about noon of saturday the upper service magazine exploded tearing away the tower and upper portions of the fort and doing more havoc than a week's bombardment could have effected one who was present wrote the crash of the beams the roar of the flames the rapid explosion of shells and the shower fragments of the fort with the blackness of the smoke made the scene indescribably terrific and grand this continued for several hours meanwhile the main gates were burned down the chassis of the barbet guns were burned away on the gorge and the upper portions of the towers had been demolished by shells there was not a portion of the fort where a breath of air could be got for hours except through a wet cloth the fire spread to the men's quarters on the right hand and on the left and endangering the powder which had been taken out of the magazines the men went through the fire and covered the barrels with wet cloths but the danger of the fort's blowing up became so imminent that they were obliged to heave the barrels out of the embrasures while the powder was being thrown overboard all the guns of moultrie of the iron floating battery and of the infilling battery and the dahlgren battery worked with increased vigor all but four barrels were thus disposed of and those remaining were wrapped in many thicknesses of wet wool and blankets but three cartridges were left and these were in the guns about this time the flagstaff of fort sumter was shot down some fifty feet from the truck this being the ninth time it had been struck by a shot the men cried out the flag is down it has been shot away in an instant lieutenant hall rushed forward and brought the flag away but the halyards were so inextricably tangled that it could not be righted it was therefore nailed to the staff and planted upon the ramparts while batteries in every direction were played upon them during the bombardment a vast concourse of people gathered in charleston and lined the wars and promenade to witness the sublime contest the surrounding county poured in its eager excited masses to add to the throng men women and children stood there hour after hour with blanched faces and praying hearts for few of that crowd but had some loved one in the works under fire messengers came hourly from several positions to assure the people of the safety of the men the second day's conflict found the city densely filled with people crowding in by railway and private conveyance from the more distant counties until charleston literally swarmed with humanity the rest of the story is told in major anderson's dispatch to the united states government steamer baltic off sandy hook april eighteenth eighteen sixty one the hon s cameron secretary of war washington d c sir having defended fort sumter for thirty-four hours until the quarters were entirely burned the main gates destroyed by fire the gorge wall seriously injured the magazine surrounded by flames and its doors closed from the effects of heat four barrels and three cartridges of powder only being available and no provisions but pork remaining 
I accepted the terms of evacuation offered by General Beauregard, being the same offered by him on the 11th instant prior to the commencement of hostilities, and marched out of the fort Sunday afternoon, the 14th instant, with colors flying and drums beating, bringing away company and private property, and saluting my flag with 50 guns. Robert Anderson, Major, 1st Artillery. End of section 67. This recording is in the public domain.